Welcome to the inaugural podcast of Conversations with Kevin, brought to you by the Kevin Marks Project. I'd like you to welcome my good friend, intellect, comedian, and great storyteller, James. Grab your favorite beverage of choice that will help you endure this, and let's go for a ride. Live from Hudson. That's a good one. Well, we're here with James, a good buddy of mine, and a, an amazing storyteller. So welcome to the Conversations with Kevin on the Kevin Marks Podcast, inaugural show. And James, welcome. Hey, thanks, man. This is going to be really, really um, recordable. <laughs> That's a good description. Record setting? We don't know. Probably not. I mean, the first million views are going to be tough, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, yeah. All, all joking aside, it's well, good to have you here. You do intend to market this to special needs groups, eh? Mostly, Maybe their yeah. bar won't be that high. We have to aim low. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th I think there's a few groups of society that we could go there. But it's not about the hating, right? No, there's a lot of people that are as messed up as we are that are going to enjoy oh. this. Oh, yes. There's there's a niche market for people of our mat of our, sty our style and our intellectual... Um, Isolated trolls? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So you, you, you're, you're here early this morning. Uh, we're doing this like at 7.30 in the morning because uh, this is James' availability. And it works for me because I got a busy day today. Who's playing this afternoon? Uh, this afternoon, oh God, I have such a bad memory. I think it's the Lions and... Uh, anyways, I'm going for the Lions. Okay. Uh, the other team doesn't matter. Are you going? No, we're staying here. Okay, you having buds over? Yeah, well, Sean's coming over and we're going to... Uh, Okay, this is funny. We watch a lot of TikTok videos and we send each other videos. And every okay. now and then there's recipe videos for like, you know, like really bad recipes of stuff that people shouldn't be eating because it's just going to give you a heart attack in the spot, you know? So he sent me this video about uh, air fried Twinkies. Oh. So what you do is you melt the butter and you, you put the butter on the what? Twinkie with a brush. And then you oh put it God. in the air fryer till it gets crispy, crispy, crunchy on the outside and soft and, and hot twinkie. on the twinkie soft and hot on the inside. So that's going to be our football uh, dessert snack today. And I'm and sure if you look that up, you could find a YouTube where they do like, you know, those super uh, hot pepper eating contests. Yeah, they've had yeah. air fried twinkie eating contests and somebody can like knock down 70 in a minute. Probably. I knocked down two the other day and I wanted the whole box. I had to test it, you know, I mean, uh, quality control, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Not that I was being greedy, you know. Hey. I, I bought two boxes of Twinkies just in case I need a little overflow for testing. You, you know? got to put your Twinkie where it counts, you know. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Air fried Twinkies. Man, yeah. things I would I would never try. Like, ah, uh, um, notable something i thought that looks so cool i've got to try it it was at a rib fest and it was one of those tornado potatoes hmm. you know it's all like it looks like a big slinky spring that oh they, they spiral it yeah yeah, okay, yeah yeah i said i'll try one yeah this was like eating a block of salt 
I was. I like that. I got about halfway through, and I was like, I can't do this. So I let the seagulls take care of the rest. But uh, man, was that. I don't know. And I love spicy stuff, but this yeah. is like just so much salt. But I like caviar. Yeah, this is salt. Go figure. Except you can't bloody find it anymore. I don't know. Maybe the Russians took over the market and are keeping I it to themselves. To some, like a specialized poissonnerie or something, because they used to have it at uh, like a nicer IGA or something. You can't yeah. get it anymore. The uh, oh. other recipe that we got off YouTube, which is actually really good, is you take a regular piece of white bread, sandwich size, mm. and you roll, you pin, roller pin it, so okay. it's flat, 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 flat. Yeah, and it, and it gets more malleable. Uh -huh. And then you stick a hot dog with a little bit of mustard, and you roll it into it, and you stick some toothpicks in it, and you stick that in the air fryer, so you get a crispy. And you put in some oil or some butter on it to make it more crispy and more unhealthy because that's what you want, right? If you're going to have a snack, you may as well do something right, you know? Do you have an air fryer? Yeah. Oh, man. So I, I, you make those, <laughs> and they're crunchy and juicy and hot on the inside. Okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's go. No. <laughs> you want to have some? No, no. Too early I don't have morning. any hot dogs or bread. So or Twinkies? I, I have the Twinkies. Okay. I did promise them to Sean, though. Okay. No, 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 no. Save it for your game. The next podcast, the we are going to have Twinkies. <laughs> and rolled up hot dogs. That'll be oh, our snack man. during the show, okay? Or before <laughs> or after, whatever. It depends how you want to do it. All right. But, all right. Uh, I'll double up on the blood pressure meds that day. That's a good idea. I always have that extra pill they gave me for one of those days where I have a little extra high blood pressure. And I said, take this in case your blood pressure is over 140. I'll probably take two that day. <laughs> Miracle of modern medicine. Yeah. So I have to comment. You. I like your shirt. Oh, thank you. You look, you look snazzy. This was a gift from uh, my good friend Vladimir. He brought it to me from Panama. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's nice to have friends who think of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a lot of... Uh, anyway, I, I don't have a lot of fancy vetmen, but uh, I do have some select items that I kind of dig. It's, it's, you know, like what I was saying about friends that think of us... Um, you never know who your true friends are until they do something that is not necessary, but is actually very beneficial to you, and they do it for you. Mm. Uh, I have a friend, uh, Bob, who I went to see Genesis uh, tribute concert with on Friday. Oh, how was it? Oh, it was awesome. Dude. Wow. These musicians are top-notch. Yeah. What they do, and I probably explained this before, but I'll explain it for the, for the people. What they do, they're called Musical Box. Right. And they recreate a show, pervatum, that was done in 74 okay. at the Montreal Forum. Okay. They got the bootleg. They d wrote down all the script. So everything he says between songs is what Gabriel said between songs. Oh, wow. And the set is in the same order. The improvs they did live, they reenact. So it's like a time travel trip wow. to 1974. Yeah. That is so cool. The crowd was on fire. It was, and the light show was moderate but good. And uh, well, the reason why I'm bringing up this show is that you know a good friend when they think of you. And I have a bad knee, mm. and I have a hard time sitting at the Bell Center or any of these places because I'm a, I got long legs yeah. and I'm a big guy, and my knee gets but locked. This was at Place des Arts, no? Yeah, this was at Place des Arts, but more, nonetheless, more, much more comfortable. Seats. Yes, but nonetheless, he considered that, and he got me an aisle seat. Oh, nice! So you could stretch in out. the loge. 
oh, where nice. it's even bigger and more comfortable. Yeah. So that's where I was saying friends who think of you in a non you know, in a way where it's not really necessary to go that far hmm. is really cool. Yeah. So like your friend bringing you that shirt, yeah. he thought of you. Well, I gave him a ride to and from the airport and I picked up his mail and checked on his place in his car while he was gone. Still was gone didn't like need to month. do it, right? You still thought yeah, he's of you. my neighbor, of course. He's, he's a nice buddy. guy, you know? So it's nice to have people like that in our lives, you know? And yeah. I, as I get older, I start to appreciate the uh, the special friendships. I know. You, you, you don't no, they get thin. They I get mean, thin. Our circle yeah. of friends gets thin. Then you got a bunch of buddies at work. I mean, we both worked at the same place, and it's their life or jobs. <clears throat> Beg your pardon. But, um, yeah. It weeds, the, the, I don't live the, in the plateau anymore. <laughs> no, but your, your friendships get weeded out as time goes by because, A, people change. Yeah. Your common sure. interests change. Sure. You know, I mean, some and people, they get married and they, they have get kids. Married, yeah. busy. La, 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 la. It's like trying to make a band when you're in your 50s. Well, that's that's almost impossible because it, yeah. it's it's like getting married all over again, but to three other guys, you know, you know, it's like you have to have relationships with three other people in a band yeah. that are cohesive. And not only do you have to agree on the music. But in between... But just the rehearsal schedule is nuts. Yeah, and, and also the socializing in between music is something that is, you know, the guy could be a great bass player, guitarist, drummer, singer, and be a total idiot yeah. socially. So you have to sacrifice, you know, dealing with that environment between shows and during breaks and stuff like that and to, to appreciate the quality of his musicianship. So bands, especially at our age, because, you know, at one point they have, they have kids and they're married. And after that, they have more free time and then they have grandkids, <laughs> you know. So it's uh, it's not an yeah. easy thing, you know. And uh, The longest band I was in, it was all like we hung out. Yeah. Just pals as well as. Okay, and that's let's, a let's, great let's setup. Let's go rehearse. You yeah, because you hear a lot of stories like Pink Floyd near the end of the the wall tour. They put all their trailers far apart from each other and they had pathways to lead to the stage that didn't cross paths because <laughs> they couldn't stand each other. That's, that's functional. You know, so um, yeah, making making music with people is like a relationship. It's like a marriage in a sense. It's like you got to get along. Oh yeah, you, know, and you have to have common interests. You oh have yeah. To, so yeah, that's um, yeah sidetrack, but that's yeah. You know, your story about the musical box reminds me. I saw uh, a pro show like that, but it was uh, the Beatles. Oh yeah, and this was back in. Oof. 1897? Uh, yeah. Long time ago. Early 80s or before. And um, the way they introed the first thing you saw on the stage, they had the lighting set up so it looked like black and white lighting. Yeah. Black and white television. And they had a, tra a semi-transparent uh, curtain mm -hmm. at the very front of the stage that looked like an old-style black and white TV. Oh, that's cool. And it opened with Ed Sullivan coming out going, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. And they, cool. and they started playing as they did on their first uh, live American broadcast. That is very cool. And it just said it, man. It was so historic to see this stuff. Yeah. 
and just brought the house down. Fantastic show. It's funny you mentioned black and white. Do you ever realize, not realize, but notice that when you remember the past, it's more grainy and it looks like old film in your mind? It's like the. It's not HD, you know what I'm saying? Like today everything's HD, it's super clear. But our memories of movies and TV was not high def. Mm. So, and our pictures are not, if you look at your old pictures, it's not a high def camera. No, no, definitely. So it, it no, kind definitely. of creates that memory imprint of old TV style images in your mind when you think of the past. I mean, that's, that's for me, that's how I see it. And whenever uh, I do video editing, I like to add that old TV grainy style every now and then, you know, because it's just, it's more, it's artistic. It's you know what I used to dig is on like a game show, black and white game show, the animators watch would always get like a starburst on it yeah 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 like a like a hot point of a of an old flash bulb yeah it's like I, I like a like, lens player what, what yeah. is that yeah 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 wow things have changed so much yeah it's um i mean just anyway it's interesting being this age yeah it's it i find the thing i like the most um is i was born before a lot of this stuff happened and yeah. I've seen it happen. Now that's true for any generation. I, the oldest person I ever knew was a gentleman named Morris Lee and he was born in uh, 1890. Wow. Yes. Yes. 1890 in England. He went from horse-drawn carriages and steam engines to internal combustion engines, to um, electric, you know, uh, computers, uh, rockets, space exploration. I mean, yeah. Not well, to mention communications. I mean, Morse code and wireless. Yeah, I mean, eighteen hundreds. You had a telegraph pole, and that was it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's like my grandmother was born in nineteen o two. She went from horse and buggy outhouses, no toilet paper. Which is something we don't realize. No, that absolutely. Two men walking in the mud. So yeah. groovy. Um, that uh, James Bond film, Live and Let Die. Mm -hmm. the first one with Roger Moore. He's on San Monique, and they're big into voodoo. Yeah. And they were doing this uh, ceremonial dance, and it's very similar to that. And I'm going like, okay, okay, okay. Like, my friend Vladimir is from Panama. Wicked good percussionist like amazing he knows all of these oh that's a a whatever name of rhythm and that's a whatever name and that's a whatever style um and he knows all this by 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 heart yeah. right and his rhythms have names i just go this is written on january 19th and it's the first part and that's the second part <laughs> yeah. like I, I don't have a title for it he would probably go Oh yeah, that's a traditional this and that. So yeah. Anyway, well, that's what makes me uh, think about music, like making me think about music. Because being a guitarist, I'm not trained. I don't know anything about music. I don't know how to read music. Write You're music. an intuitive player. Yeah, and and when I learn music, I realize it's something I already knew, but I didn't know what it was called. <laughs> So when I play a scale that I just thought not like created because there's no making up new scales, but when I start intuitively making a scale, 
somebody go, oh, that's a something, something, something. I go, oh, okay. I didn't know it had a name. Like, everything has a yeah. name, but I don't know. So yeah. learning is almost like well, realizing what you already know sometimes. You, you, you know? really got to specialize in that. I mean, um, it's virtually impossible, I am of the opinion, to know everything there is about music. It's impossible. Unless you're an absolute freak of nature like Mozart. Or Zappa. Or Zappa, somebody of that, you know. But even, and that's, those are composers. Yeah. Let's make a big distinction. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a cover tune drummer. Like, that's what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And, um, and that's just copying somebody else's work. The people who actually write and compose... That is that is very very unique. As you said, I'm intuitive. I'm also a, 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 um, an improv kind of guy. Yeah, like, I, I play with people who are better than me, and we do a jam, and they can't follow because they don't know what it sounds like already. Mm. And that's the difference between what I do and what most people most people do, like you do. They they do covers. They understand what they're doing. They've learned it. They know it by heart. I, I couldn't do a cover for my life save. It was my life dependent on it. But I could create a song in 10 minutes, and it's palatable. I like um, I like cover. It's I've always been into rehearsal, practice, and training. And so for me, it's like, how can you play the same thing over and over again? The Because I'm trying to perfect it as yeah. close to the original as possible. And yeah. I, I got a thing for that. I don't have patience. I don't mind. That. I don't mind repeating. I don't mind yeah. routine. See, that sounds like work to me. Yeah. Frank Zappa said it really well. He's, he says, you know, there's a lot of amazing guitarists out there. And you go see their show and they play the guitar solo exactly note for note like yeah. the album. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, he goes, he says, I never play the same guitar no. solo twice. <laughs> and he goes, if you made me do that, it'd be like punching a clock at a factory. Mm hmm. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. And I get that. And I yeah. get that. It's and it's just, both ways are, are totally necessary in life just, because you need people like you who remember. I'm not perfectly. good enough to do what they do. So I just go, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the mark, okay? Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I've improved with you and you're, you, you do good improv. Well, I, I do more improv on the gym bay. This. Marvelous instrument, uh, Remo World Percussion, beautiful. Yeah, and um, very nice. Um, that one I can really improv on, probably because it's scoped down enough to my skill level because I'm using just hands. And I have this thing when I um, when I walk, every time I walk, I've always got one of those like or some kind of a marching rhythm yeah. going on in my head. You keep the beat in your head and so, you're walking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's like I always keep a piece of paper in my back pocket and I go, oh, 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 stop, that was really cool and like jot it down, you know? Well, that's the difference between me and you because I do the same thing with with my my creativity is like I'd be at work and I go tum 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 tum. Okay, that would be a good beat for a guitar riff, and then I just do it over and over again until <laughs> I remember. It. I don't write things. Down. I don't know how to do that, 
but but I can I teach you, man. It's not hard have at all. That, that like that's what that's what my kind of script looks like. Yeah, that that looks like hieroglyphs to me. You know, that looks like the Egyptian uh, pyramid. You know, <laughs> but that's what's interesting about dude. People. If I can do it, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you say that because from your perspective, it's easy, but from my perspective, it's Chinese. So to me, that's like learning a new language. And after five years old, it's hard to learn new languages. Mm. That's what they say. The first five years, you form your, your yeah. learning structure. But that's what's interesting about people, because people are different. Uh, people are... Oh, sorry. Oh, you got a call? No, it's a reminder for my medication. So people are individuals. I did a song about that. It goes, I am that guy. And the lyrics are basically, you know, that guy in the corner that you look at in the corner of your eye. Uh, he's a little bit different. He's not like you. Well, I am that guy. But at the end of the song, I say, we are all that guy, that girl to somebody else. So we're all individuals that make other people think differently about how they see things. Yeah, she, she does that all the time. She does that all the time. She likes to walk on the. On wow. The yeah. You can't see her right now. But no, no, no. Walking on the. That's an incredible balance beam right work. Here is a staircase that goes down yeah. to the second floor. And it's all wood. And Has she ever fallen? She almost fell once. I had to catch her. Jesus. Yeah. You're, you're driving this crazy. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Come on. Come back where it's safe. Come here. She get a shot of her. She's absolutely beautiful. She's going to be in the shot right about now. Come on. Little head poking through. Come over here, Leah. This way. Come here. Come see James. Introduce yourself to everybody. She was in one of my uh, intro it? videos. There she oh. is. There's Leah. This is my tuxedo cat. Hello, sweetheart. Hmm. Cats are great. I love cats. Yeah. Dogs, I have nothing against dogs, but dogs are like three-year-old kids. They're always excited. They always want attention, and they're always needing something. They're very needy. Yeah. Where cats are like 17-year-old teenage boys. It's like, I don't give a crap. I don't just need you. Just feed food. me and let me sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and if I want to play, you better be ready, because uh, I want to be pet right now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I'm really glad you're here. No more pets for me. No, Not I don't know. I, I, I mean, she's she's 10 years old, so there's, you know, in the next five, six years, there's a potential that, you know, I'm not going to have her anymore. And I'm pretty sure I'll get another one. I've always had cats all my life. I've always had basically two cats. But when, when Winky passed away a year and a half ago, uh, my daughter got us a, 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 a second cat, which is a little miss. Or Missy Moo, as I call her. And uh, that cat left with my daughter when she moved out. But we'll be coming back in July when she moves back in. So there'll be two, two, two cats again. But yeah, I think I would get another cat. I'm not... Um, I don't know. I've had so many cats in my life. Mm. Oh, they're cool. They're chill person. If you get one that has a chill personality, I had one that was super vicious once. Yeah. And uh, oh my God, I ended up finding a foster home for it. I just couldn't hack it anymore. Well, what I've attack you and bite you and bite the other cat and just yeah. be mean. What I noticed about cats is um, I know people who like to play with their cats a lot. Mm. And they, you know, they scruff them up and all that and they tease them. Those cats usually become more aggressive because mm. they don't always want to play when you think no. they want to play. And they get, <coughs> they get 
aggressive because of that. I, I've, I've never teased a cat. I never, you know, I, this is, this is how I am with cats and they pick up your vibe. Yeah. Cats are very intuitive. Oh yeah. Oh very yeah. Intuitive. Oh, did you see the, uh, the Facebook post of, uh, you know, Keith Yeah. Johnson, right? Yeah. 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 He has Prolific uh, poet. one, uh, Irish wolfhound left. Yeah. Right. Massive dogs. Yeah. His name is Artemis. Yeah, yeah. And he just came back from a vacation in Colombia. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw that, yeah. And he filmed the first time he's reunited with Artemis when he came back home. And I guess he had him um, pensioned out. He was yeah. you know, looked after. The dog was hilarious. He oh, yeah. wasn't, like, jumping, barking. He was just going like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, how could yeah. you have done that? I am so glad to see you. And I yeah. was worried. It, and it went on and on and on. And I was just like, oh, man, if that's not super hyper intuitive yeah. behavior. Yeah. And, and they, I saw and this. it's the right breed of dog for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He reminds me of an Irish wolfhound. <laughs> yeah. I saw this documentary footage uh, talking about animals and their intuitiveness and all that stuff. And what they did is they took two cameras with timestamps on them. Okay. One camera stayed in the house with the dog and the dog's uh, the, the the dog owner's uh, mother. Hmm. So she left. Then the other camera followed her, and the other camera stayed inside the house. Okay. The dog went to the door when she left, stayed oh, there yeah. for a few minutes, and yeah. then the dog sat on the couch next to her mother, and the girl went to the park about two blocks away, and she read a book. And about an hour later, she closed her book and put it in her bag, and the dog got up from the couch and went to the door. Get out. And waited for her to come home. Wow. Now, when I used to work... Hmm. My window in the back there is facing the parking lot. Right. I would come home. She'd be looking out the window. Wow. And she'd look at me, come out of the car. And then when I come to the steps, she'd be at the bottom of the steps like a dog. So they know these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. They have uh, really good internal clocks. There's a neighbor of mine who has a some kind of husky breed. Lives downstairs. Real gentle dog named Zeus. And um, they look after him really good. They're always walking him. They get him out a lot. A dog like that needs it. Oh, right. God, These yeah. people who try and turn a husky into a chihuahua lap dog, it's a disgrace. It is. Anyway. <clears throat> but in the summertime, I'll be sitting outside on the balcony. He'll come out five minutes before people arrive in the parking lot. He's seven stories up. Like I'm, I'm a hundred feet off the ground, so he's like ninety feet off the ground, and from that distance he can spot one of his caregivers getting out of a car in the parking lot at like seventy meters, and identify him. Yeah, it's crazy, and and he's and he does his little greeting howl and everything, and I, I personally, and this might be controversial for some people, but I think animals, especially our pets, they have a sense that we don't have or that we've oh, yeah. not, we've not mastered because we are so cluttered with information and practicality and or we've forgotten we've forgotten because we so, don't need it anymore because yeah, yeah uh, that's it, a good point yeah it's not our survival is not dependent on listening to our gut instinct that's right everyone's got a plan 
It's written down here. I got to get up and go do this and then do that and then do this and then do it's not like I, I don't think I don't think Oregon Korg back in caveman days woke up and go, gee, uh, I better get over to that tree and uh, make my notch so uh, you know the chief yeah. knows that I'm I'm actually working on no man no. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny, you know, I was watching another, I like watching little mini documentaries, and one of them was talking about how, the since we're cavemen, basically, um, we've always had to survive mm. from the predators at mm. night, mm. and there was always somebody who was awake. Yeah. They took turns. Sleeping. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah, sentry. Now. Animals do that. Yeah, but now... It's embedded in us to do that. Now, if you th remember, you know, you've, you've been married, you've, you've been in relationships. Women always complain. I thought this was supposed to be a friendly conversation. Yeah, no, but I'm getting to a good point. Women always complain that men are sleep like a log and they are awake half the night. Right. But most of the men I know say, I was awake half the night. And the reality is people take turns sleeping when they live in, in groups hmm. without planning it. It's not a conscious thing. It's okay. like you, you sleep lighter when the other person is sleeping heavier. Hmm. And they did experiments, and they said even in apartment buildings, there's cycles of sleeping, so there's always somebody who's on alert. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and I, that comes That's from our, our predator days, you know? Our days of where we had predators, not our predator days, but our days yeah. living with predators, you know? Because there's no more T-Rexes trying to chop our Important heads off. Important distinction, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, since safety is... is <coughs> not, our safety now, our security now, has numbed our defenseless mechanisms. Whereas today, I mean, in today's generation, nothing against this generation, but they're so coddled with protection in society that their instincts to defend themselves are minimal. Yeah. Hmm. Which is not a bad thing if you live in a society where you don't need that, but the reality is that kicks in. It, it, it needs to be there. Well, you know, um, I watch a lot. I was lucky enough to train for many years with uh, Tony Blower, who's probably the greatest self-defense instructor of our modern era. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he has a really good arsenal of, of moves and physical techniques. But the thing that separates him from everyone else, I've never seen an equal, is he links our genetic safety flinch, startle flinch reflexes to he, he, he re... What's the word? Reutilizes Reestablishes them. Okay. Like, you have this. Yeah, yeah. Example, you know how to defend yourself. You've just forgotten that you yeah. know how to defend yourself. The instinct is still in us. Right. Yeah. And uh, one of the biggest things he works on is with the, uh, the, you know, you walk into a spider web and you go like this. You have startle flinch. He says, well, instead of going like this, use some kinesiology and get your elbow outside 90 and jam it more and get angled in instead of being flattened back and being more but, vulnerable but that this way, yeah. happens all the time you just have to modify it a little bit through a few repetitions you can and um but he also says that's the last stage 
another thing we've forgotten is um, our spider sense. Mm. We, there are, before anything happens, there's always a pre-contact symptom, a cue. Yeah, I and agree. We go, oh no, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Instead of listening to your gut instinct going, yeah. oh, heightened alert status. Okay. Scanners up. Yeah. What's going on? And he works it like that's where the conflict starts. And that's where the resolution to the conflict, that's where the planning starts. Mm. Now you can't control it because you don't know where the conflict is going to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, your opponent controls the fight. But you don't have to remain in surprise. And yeah. he says that's the dangerous part of any, and this is like tying into what you're saying, um, in a society where you do not need defense, it's, you know, well, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? But if you've never recognized it or, or meditated on it or, or say no, um, my morning mantra to myself is uh, a recital of my core beliefs, mm -hmm. which is no one's allowed to interfere with my life. No one's allowed to interfere with my family. La, 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 la. And um, you got to think that out before. It's, it's better. It's better. It doesn't mean you can't do anything if you never have, but it's just um, the more you acknowledge it and meditate on it and... Um, and I'm 60 and I, uh, I, I have a senior moments and I just forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. There you go. Well, let me interject so you can remember what you say. I a hundred percent agree. I was, uh, in my early twenties, uh, starting to do re recording and I went to Steve's music and I bought a Fostex 480 eight line mixer with a four track tape and that was like the bomb wow. i mean I, I everybody says why do you need that it's too much i says no i i know what i'm doing i like this so anyways it was like 1800 bucks or 1400 bucks oh man at the time that was a lot of <clears> that serious change yeah so i had a thousand dollars cash in my in my in my inside pocket and i was i needed the 400 and there was no there was no cards back then. Yeah, no guichet automatic, yeah. Well, the guichet was there, but there was no interact at the cash. Oh, okay, okay, I see what you mean. So I'm downtown on Sherbrooke Street, now René Lévesque, and I'm at the corner of Sherbrooke and something, and there's a bank there. So my friend Norm pulls up on the side of the road, waits for me in the car. So I get in, and I'm standing, and there's a mirror, right? <clears throat> and there's two people ahead of me, and I come in, and there's two guys there, and I said, hey, go ahead first. We're not ready. So right away, my spider sense is lit up. Then I'm, so the whole time I was waiting. Oh, they, they let you cut in line ahead yeah, of them. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I'm watching. And now the two people are gone. And now I'm alone with them. Now I knew something was going to happen. I knew yeah, them. man. Yeah. So, yeah, the spidey senses are real. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, and and I, it, it cracks me up because there's so many people. Okay, one thing I really don't like is um, pseudoscience. And well, that's a touchy subject because pseudoscience was the world is round and not flat. That was pseudoscience back then. It was, yeah. You know, we know better. Yeah. Um, Falling off the edge of the earth, that was pseudoscience. Yeah. Uh, the. 
there's a, uh, I used to work midnights and, uh, there's, there was this, well, uh, we worked together on yeah. nights at one point, right? There's this overnight radio show that you pick up from the States at the time. Cause the broadcast strings go down. The you Art can Bell show. pick out exactly coast to coast, coast to coast with Art Bell. God rest his soul. <clears throat> and greatest radio interview ever. And he had these whack jobs. Yeah. On and I'm just like, what the heck are you talking about, man? Like, are you serious? And yeah, it gets eaten up. Like people who read horoscopes and stuff like that. It's just like, oh no, my horoscope said. But in defense of these really? whack jobs, I've watched that show, listened to that show since the beginning. Mm. I started listening to it on AM radio from Chicago overnight because the frequency would reach me. It was it was screechy and loud, and I, I still listen to it. And I heard almost every show he's done. Okay. And I know these whack jobs you're talking about, but some of those whack jobs were right because we didn't about know what? about certain science things that we didn't understand yet or that we thought we knew. I can't give you a good example right now, but that's some of these pseudoscience things are actually the real deal. Well, you know, just uh, like the Earth is not flat. The, the, well, that's another story now because there's still people that think it's flat. Yeah. And, but you notice the web page for those who Got think the aluminum world, foil. Yeah. Okay. The web page for the Earth is flat society says we have members all around the world. <laughs> You can't, you can't get away from reality. Oh, man, that's a scream. Um, yeah, well, listen, what I subscribe to, when I, when I was a kid, I was really lucky. I could, I could concentrate on things, and I wasn't really hyperactive. And um, I grew up... I grew up in front of the TV, like most kids in the 60s and 70s uh, in my neighborhood. Flintstones and, at lunchtime. Flintstones at lunchtime. Joe Van's matinee after that. Mm -hmm. And he would play some cool movies. As a matter of fact, I watched two movies last night that I saw for the first time on his matinee. The first one was the 1952 War of the Worlds. Oh, that was great. Which is just mind-blowing. And uh, What a psychological project that was. Oh. Psyops, big time. Oh, yeah. And and the other one was uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, you know, and I didn't understand what Doctor Strangelove was about when I was uh, whatever, yeah, uh, six Little seven one, years yeah. old when I saw it. But it had airplanes, and I go, "That's that's cool enough for me." Yeah. So, um, and I grew up watching National Geographic and Cosmos. Yeah, Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Now. So the thing I subscribe to is he outlined what a scientific method is. And that is, we know what we know for now until there's new evidence that is presented. And it is, it is uh, extremely scrutinized and to be validated. And replicated. Then, uh, then we reserve the right to change yeah. the manual. Exactly. And he says the thing about pseudosciences or, you know, I mean, he said, he said it so nicely. Uh, religion is, um, contains such a, some of the most beautiful literature, poetry and, uh, philosophy too. And, and, uh, high moral ethics and, and, um, and, and goodwill, which is fine where they get into trouble is when they say, we know how this happened 
and it cannot be changed. You can't change the book. Yeah. And that's where I kind of go, you know, if we never change the book, we wouldn't be sitting here with all this technology and podcast. We'd be sitting around with oil lamps or making just a fire, making moonshine. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, I mean, you just look at dentistry, look at medical capabilities. Now treatment for a cut used to mean amputation. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned dentistry. Seriously? Barbershops. Did you know that barbershops had a dual purpose? Yeah, they, they were bleeding stations. So that's why there's a red line in a yeah, barbershop yeah, thing. Yeah. But back to the matinee. Do you Barber remember Don McGowan's matinee at 1 o'clock? He did what? He did, yeah, he used to introduce uh, show Okay, maybe movies. it was after, maybe he did it after probably. Joe Van. Yeah, because I was Joe Van passed away probably about 10 young. years old, so you would have been 15. Yeah, he, so pa this is he passed away young, Joe Van, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. That, that that those were good days. Don McGowan was such a oh, what a nice gentleman. person, eh? What a gentleman. Mm. Yeah, I always liked his uh, liked his work. For some of you, we're in Canada, Montreal, uh, Quebec. Uh, so Don McGowan was a radio, uh, a TV host. Yeah, he's a local media celebrity. Yeah, he did the weather and all kinds of stuff. And yeah, news uh, anchor yeah, on our local CTV yeah. channel. So you can look that up later and look up Don McGowan if you want. It's an interesting uh, person. Yeah, yeah. Montreal has a few. We, you know, yeah. I saw a show a, a week ago. It was the, um, it was, oh, what's the brand name of it? Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. And it was Bugs Bunny on the big screen at Place des Arts, the really nice concert hall in Montreal. And, um, they showed the cartoons which featured famous classical music and the music was played live by a 70-piece symphony orchestra called the film harmonic orchestra oh cool it was unbelievable and this is looney tunes well okay? that's where most of us learned classical music well this is the point that the conductor made his name was george uh daugherty daugherty something and um Brilliant guy, really funny. When they showed Bugs Bunny coming out in uh, conductor tuxedo and tails, and he goes like this on the screen, and that's how George Darty started his compile when he was doing it. You know, he yeah. didn't break the baton and throw it away like Leopold, but that would have been yeah, funny too. I, th too. I thought he was going to do that, but he said um, through these cartoons. Kids were exposed to a master class of great musical works. Exactly. Uh, Rossini, Wagner, Tchaikovsky, um, 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 and others that I, I don't remember. And this is Looney Tunes music. These scores are quick tempo oh, yeah. with lots of changes, lots of like sound effect for scampering. Well, you know? who doesn't know from our generation the barbershop scene? Yeah, absolutely. He's massaging his oh, head. It was so funny. I mean, that song is ingrained in my head yeah. with the imagery the of barber that barber scene. Yeah. They did that. They did uh, Giovanni Jones, the opera singer. <laughs> when he makes him asphyxiate himself and brings down that concert oh my God. arena. <clears throat> they did um, Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. Um, 
as uh, Siegfried and Broomhilda. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And um, they did. They did. They do the singing sword. I don't think so. They left that one out. You know, the medieval uh, Excalibur or the singing sword. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yes, they did do that. Well, not not not, the not show, at the but, show. Not yeah, at the show. Funny. They did a lot of. Um, they showed some new ones. Mm-hmm. Some new style animation ones of um, uh, Coyote and Roadrunner. Uh, they were okay, and um, but the music was fantastic, and his comments I thought were so like bang on. He goes, "This is a local Montreal orchestra." Mm-hmm. In 2023, they did 75 live shows, wow. and they specialize in doing music for movies yeah which a lot of editing and post-production is done here in montreal for oh, yeah, films yeah. that are even made abroad yeah it, montreal is huge it is so bloody unique so getting back to don mcgowan there montreal is a fantastic crossroads of artistic input yeah and um and exposures mm-hmm I read a book called Swinging in Paradise, and it's the history of the evolution of jazz in Montreal. Oh, cool. And it started back at the beginning of the 20th century. There was uh, still segregation in the States. Mm-hmm. And black musicians could not play with white musicians. Yeah. So a lot of them got fed up with that, and there were opportunities for music, uh, being a musician in Montreal. Yeah. So... Um, they and came. during prohibition too, that attracted a lot of people to Montreal. Oh yeah, party central here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you're um, right; we didn't have that segregation thing going on. No, and, no, it was, was it welcomed. was okay. Yeah. And what happened is, with the influx of these musicians, they were better at improvising, and the white boys had more likely than not had some formal training and knew you know how to score notation mm-hmm. and and stuff like that and this meld created some of the most powerful um innovative forces and i was reading it was like along saint jacques street this uh, cp rail yard a lot of the a lot of the black workers were porters and mm-hmm. you know whatever and um, that was their day job and then they'd go play music play yeah. music in clubs because there was no recorded music yeah everything was live yeah when my stepfather came from winnipeg in like the early 1950s in montreal there were 375 nightclubs playing live music seven nights a week that's incredible that is nuts he said it was so easy to find work you rented a room in a hotel you hung out in the lobby had your coffee and your cigarette and read your newspaper somebody come in and, i need two bone players i need a piano player and a drummer who's available yeah. oh, okay let's go that was your gig and so you all knew the repertoire yeah sometimes they worked with scores yeah but uh, and this went on and on for years and he was a professional musician for that for years and had lots of different bands he introduced me when i started music studies he introduced me to um his peers and i was like okay he says yeah we're going down to uh biddles tonight biddles yeah jazz club Yeah, yeah i know like i was maybe 13. and he introduced me to charlie biddles and Bernard Primo, drummer, and um, Biddle, not Biddle, 
and uh, Oliver Jones. These Oliver guys, Jones, These yeah. guys were the house band. Yeah. Oscar Peterson was a big thing in Montreal. Unreal. For sure. My mother sure. went to a dance in high school with Oscar Peterson. Wow. Now, yeah. he was playing. No, he was, there was, I think it was her date. Yeah. Get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. She's that not around to trip, reaffirm man. the story, but yeah. Wow. But Montreal musicians, Quebec musicians in general, are extremely, extremely talented. Like, take Aldo Nova. Everybody knows him for Life is But a Fantasy. Mm. He did music for Celine Yeah. He produced and wrote stuff for Celine Dion. Uh our, our Montreal recording session musicians are some of the top notch in the world. Absolutely. Our production companies, we do stage setups for some of the biggest shows in the world. Lighting is yeah. mostly a Montreal thing. Yeah. Films. Uh, look at uh, CGI. Most well, CGI is done in Montreal. I think Peter Gabriel's set designer for many years on tour was a Montrealer. Yeah. Yeah, that's how they got popular. I mean, through that. Peter Gabriel is probably some of the most nuanced. Oh, God. Uh, presentations ever. Uh, the Secret World Tour is just bloody brilliant. Yeah. And uh, anyway, you know, when I was reading this book, the part that blew me away was when my um, one of my kids was young, and we were in a waiting room to, for a doctor's appointment or something. And I was reading this book, and it talked about the very first. Recording studio, yeah, in Montreal, mm -hmm. and it was on Rue de l'Aqueduct, south of uh, Notre Dame, mm -hmm. and it was Deutsch gramophone, and they were manufacturing wax cylinders. You'd make your recording onto the yeah. old, old style, right? Straight on, great yeah. gramophone, but wax cylinder, not even a flat <clears throat> disc yet. Yeah, yeah. Rue de l'Aqueduct is about three hundred meters long. That not even 200. That's it. It's basically a dead end street that goes into a whatever. I'm reading this passage and I go, what? Because my friend uh, Simon Petraki owns Serotone Recording Studios. Worked with him a few times, laid down some stuff for him. He recorded me a whole bunch of stuff, uh, drumming and other compositions. I've had friends in there extra drummers and and he burned some copies and made some recordings very very like barter you know i'd do some work for him he'd provide me with some free recording time it was awesome yeah it's it a great way to do it serotone studios really coolest coolest guy and it's right across the street from the address of the deutsch gramophone studio hmm. and i'm reading this and i'm going get out so I took a picture of it and I sent it to Simon and said, Simon, read this. He texts me back in a couple of minutes. Are you out of your mind? Mm -hmm. And I said, dude, you're on the ground zero of the first recording studio cool. in Canada. That was like back in the, it was in the 1800s or something. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, this, the, the, the cylinders, that's the first recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just material. amazing. Amazing. So then we have more in Heights. We yeah. have some great recordings there. Oh my God, yeah, the, you know, the, the mean, studio. The studio more in Heights. Yeah, that was a shame, but I guess the building was probably all old the decrepit. Yeah. And yeah, if you don't keep that stuff up. And the technology was starting to get old, but anyways, I mean, now it's all digital, and I I, I probably have the same quality as more in Heights oh my in my studio, you know, which yeah. and more capacity to do things. That well, that's did. the the Apollo 11 smartphone thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even a pocket calculator, uh, you know. 
actually they were saying there was more technology in a Timex uh, calculator watch mm. than there was in the Apollo project. That's sure. More processing power. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like the first hard drives. It took a forklift to get 50 megabytes out of the airplane and bring it to the, the lab. Oh, man. You see, this is, I'm glad we went, I, I grew up in the time frame that I di uh, did because, you know, you remember floppy disks? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, just weird stuff, man. Yeah, five megabytes. <laughs> oh, my God. Pong. 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 I mean, that was voodoo for us. What is this witchcraft? It was just... The first oh, computer that I built, I used to build my own computers, was 50 megabytes. That was the hard drive. So whenever I wanted to, to play a game, I had to empty my hard drive, reformat it, and then load the game because the game was like 35 megabytes or something. And then I did that for the longest time. I would basically reformat my hard drive every time I wanted to change game or software or whatever, you know? So, yeah, now we're spoiled. I mean, there's more memory in my phone than there is in most computers that I had when I grew up, you know? You know, with all of, all of the information services available, the challenge now... As it always was, but now it's even more profound. It's how to discern useful from trash. Well, technology is a double-edged sword. Yeah. It is a lifesaver. It can make you ignorant or it can make you killer. informed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It could make your life better or it could ruin your life. There was a movie. You remember the old actor uh, Andy Griffiths? Mm -hmm. There was a movie that was made, oh, back in the early 50s or maybe even earlier um, called Lonesome Roads and it had a popularity resurgence when Trump became president because he almost like stole lines from this guy oh, yeah. right so Lonesome Roads Roads was a, a media person who uh, went on radio and um, um, he became a politician, whatever. And on the mic, he was amazing. He was America's savior. We're going to get out of this depression. We're going to get out of, you know, we're going to recover from the war and all this stuff. And then off mic, he went, he was like, and I'm going to tell you how to do everything and you're going to do it. You're so dumb, you you need to be told what to do, right? And his wife, know, in the story, his wife knows that about him. But she can't get him exposed because he's got this cabal of yes men around him and all, all this stuff. And I'm going, wow, this looks pretty familiar. <laughs> and A lot of politicians, that's how they roll. His wife gets in cahoots with one of the uh, sound studio operators on a radio broadcast <laughs> and gets him on a hot mic when he doesn't know it. And he's going on all this rant for the, the disdain and disgust he has for the average citizen that publicly he says he wants to care for and do right by and all this moral yeah, goody yeah. good stuff. And he gets caught on this hot mic and people start calling in the radio station. She's like, I'm not going to vote for them. And it's just this wave of hate feedback and he loses his position. Mm -hmm. Right. In Trump's case, that's not what happened. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <coughs> Lonesome Roads, fantastic movie. And yeah. it's so creepy to see Andy Griffiths in 
a bad, a villain role because he was the sheriff, you know? Yeah, yeah. But anyways, there's going to be minor editing due to technical problems, but that's, that's the way it rolls. This is this is day one of a uh, journey this is through time and one. space. Yeah. This is number one. And to celebrate, I wrote an, int uh, an intro rhythm. Oh. The ceremonial gong. I love that sound. Nothing beats a real gong. I have one on my electronic drum kit that it's, it's, does the job. Me too. It doesn't do that. It's not the same. This beauty. I went down to Chinatown in Montreal one day and I had no idea what I was looking for. And I walked into a bunch of stores, just like aimlessly lost. No idea what I'm looking for. And um, I just went from one store to the next and I wound up in a, um, uh, a kitchen store uh, where they sell like steamers and everything and I'm like what the hell I don't even do Asian cooking I don't you know I'm like what am I doing what am I doing and I wandered all the way to the back of the store and that was hanging on the wall up on the behind a, a rack of uh, wooden spoons or something <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah I and like they, stores they wanted, like that yeah they wanted $225 for it I saw it and I asked the lady can I try it and uh, she goes, yeah. So I gave it a tap just like I did there. You don't have to bash it mm -hmm. to know its qualities. Like one of the fun things I love doing when I go drum shopping is trying out cymbals. Mm -hmm. I, like do not buy cymbals online. Okay. It just doesn't work. Oh, it's like a guitar. Yeah. You have you to play it. You have to hit it with the sick, hit it with the edge of your thumb to get like a, like a gong sound out of it and you can tell its qualities as the sound uh, dissipates anyway so i tried it and i went this is really cool and i looked at the lady and i said at 225 you know um it's got a lot of dust on it i think it's been in your store a long time <laughs> yeah so i think i got her down to like 160 or That's something which is a steal because yeah. if you go into a music store and you buy now this is not brand name there's no name or mark, manufacturing mark on it at all, it just sounds good. And it's heavy brass and it's authentic. Mm -hmm. um, that is cool. If like I was in a music store now, they had different sizes, but a little one like that, which is portable. I mean, I don't have a trailer van to move stuff around. Mm -hmm. So you gotta be able to carry it. Yeah. You can't go Keith Emerson, uh, 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 Carl Palmer on yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, and one like this, they are like 650 bucks. It's crazy. Eh? Yeah. Because it says Zildjian or well, yeah, whatever. Exactly. It's all marketing now and branding and everything. And that's, you know, it's like doing this podcast. I'm looking at microphones and they have all these, there's, there's all kinds of brands now that are targeted for podcasters, which are not generally people who are recording people or, or studio people or anything like that. 
and I was looking at okay what's the specs and why would I buy this $300 mic and all that and, and I got this Shure SM58 which almost every song in the 70s was recorded with on vocals you know okay and the sound quality is great so I already have microphones, so the yeah. branding is, is is a big thing because, like podcasting, everything's oh podcast this, podcast that, and and they're just pieces of tech of tech that are have already existed in in the music world, but being reapplied for a different per, per, pro, a different uh, purpose, and uh, so branding changes the price. Absolutely, I mean, and I get it. Um, oh, it's all marketing, it's all money. I mean, like, I understand, but right? I'm not. I'm not married to it mm -hmm. if something works perfectly uh adequate to my needs mm -hmm. which are negotiable <laughs> uh so be it yeah you know if i find a drum for 10 bucks that sounds amazing I've... same thing for a guitar yeah i've got cheap guitars that sound better than my most expensive guitar what was who's the guitarist uh jack white yeah he makes his own guitars and out, out of like an old cigar box and yeah, a, a couple yeah. uh, uh like what uh lock wire or whatever it's my hilarious. favorite guitar right now that i play in my studio is a homemade guitar that i made that i forgot about how good it was until i played it again recently and i have you know i have a les paul i have you know fender and telecaster but that guitar sounds awesome. There you go. And they're cheap pickups, and it's a regular off-the-shelf neck and body. And there you go. Did it myself. Okay, I'm gonna plug in this tablet because I think we're losing power, and that's not a problem as far as uh, anything goes. Man, you got a lot of you have a lot of equipment, Kevin. Well, I yeah, through the years I've been doing music and I used to do videos for weddings. I used to film weddings and sporting really? events and stuff like oh my that. God. Hockey tournaments, baseball tournaments, uh, um, weddings and stuff. And um, so I I got in touch with the tech for the, for video mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. that, and I've been recording myself on tape recorders since I was fourteen. So yeah, the gear's gotten more expensive and more more um, f um, delicate and precise. But yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. It's uh, it's a passion of mine. Cool. I mean, I, I I am a musician, but I'm I'm more of an artist than a musician because musicians know how to read, write, and do all that stuff. I'm more of an artist. I play what I feel. Wow. And I and I do that. In every, I love editing sound. I love mastering music. I love the whole process. So for me, the equipment is part of my my instruments. You know, it's funny when you say a musician is somebody who can read and write and read. But uh, I, I, I don't know. At one point in my life, I would have said, yeah, true. But now I go, no, a musician is somebody who plays music. I agree. I, I just look at it as a because I know category. so many intuitive players. Like for a long time, like I started with private lessons on drum set, learning how to read drum parts, and then I when like between the age of twelve and seventeen, I did the summer summer um, 
jazz band program for, mm -hmm. for teenagers at McGill in Montreal. And um, that was big band. So that's that was another step in the education. Then I went to um, um, CJEP and I studied with Trevor Payne and Ronnie Page and uh, Cy Cooper and a whole bunch of other incredible um, teachers. And so, yeah, I learned all, all that stuff, but it was always, and it was drum set, it was percussion ensemble, it was classical percussion, that kind of stuff. When I got into djembe playing, more like drum circle and tam-tams on the mountain and that, that kind of stuff, that's when I went, there are so many, my definition of, of music is not, com of what a musician is thinking, oh, well, where did you go to school? How can you read? Duh, duh, duh. How's your sight reading? Um, that's a very limited scope definition for me because I met so many intuitive players who could just groove so well and never had a lick of, of formal education. Mm -hmm. They just jammed with somebody and they became amazing drummers. Mm -hmm. And like my friend Vladimir, who I mentioned uh, earlier, who knows the name of all these mm -hmm. rhythms doesn't know how to write them out doesn't you know yeah but it's it was that's how he learned to play percussion in panama yeah you know well that reminds me of dave grohl i saw him on in an interview and he goes i'm not really a drummer he doesn't consider himself a real drummer in the sense that he's doesn't really he he just winged it and that's how he I'm, I'm paraphrasing but that's okay uh, i'm, I'm sorry i'm drawing a blank dave grohl foo fighters oh uh, right, right right okay and he says he goes i just winged it i mean i just did what i did and that's that was it and it worked and that's great and i there's a lot of guys that are like that you know Look, yeah. john bonham never had a drum lesson really he's self-taught jesus it's a natural you know so there's a lot of professionals that are in that category. So I don't feel alone, not that I'm comparing myself to those two, but I don't feel alone in the sense that I'm not your standard musician who's got the knowledge and knows what he's doing. I just do it and it makes sense and I like it. And there you go. That's all it takes. Yeah. Buddy, Buddy Rich had that claim too. Like he, a new piece of music, he'd have somebody play it through a couple of times. He'd go, okay, okay, okay. And then he would just turn it into his own mm -hmm. with his own style. Freak of nature. And he was a big inspiration on John Bonham. Oh, yeah. He's John Bonham mentioned him a few anybody. times in interviews, yeah. I was lucky enough to see him three times at oh, Place wow. des Arts. That is very cool. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, because of my stepdad, who was a jazz drummer in Montreal, and he knew all these guys, when the big names would come to town, he'd always had, always had a line on tickets. And so I saw Buddy Rich three times. Um, and I even saw Count Basie once. Wow. Yeah. Like a year before he passed away. Unreal. That's like, the real deal. I'm not a huge jazz fan. Some of it just gets on my nerves, hmm. but I like big band. I like big band. I think it's, it's an awesome, awesome art form. And my favorite big band album was... I think it came out in 75, um, Basie Big Band. Oh, yeah. And it's just a bunch of repertoire songs, you know, Tall Cotton, um, that kind of stuff, The Wind Machine. And they had Butch Miles on drums. 
And this guy was so... Now, my stepdad knew him. Mm-hmm. And he was at the hotel, at a hotel once when the Basie's band was there. <clears throat> and all the musicians, like when you're traveling with this kind of elite orchestra, you wear your, your B-flat suit all the time. You don't, yeah. even when you're waiting for the bus, your suit and tie when you well, go. It's like hockey players used to be that way. Yeah. Suit and tie on the way Absolutely, in. absolutely. And... Um, so he's in the lobby with these guys, and they're all being conservative in their suits and stuff like that. And Butch Miles walks in in a, in a red Adidas tracksuit <laughs> and goes, What's going on, fellas? What's the matter with you? <laughs> like, it's just. <laughs> but that's Butch Miles. I mean, that's incredible, incredible drummer. I know it's cliche, but I, I love the Glenn Miller band. Oh yeah! I mean, some of the best stuff was oh, was on. done with that band. I absolutely. mean, it was just incredible. Yeah, like the Glenn Miller band was pretty cool. No, absolutely. That's absolutely. Uh, my father used to listen to opera, Mario Lanza, and right he on. used to sing like Mario Lanza. Wow! My father sang at my first communion at the church, uh-huh. at the top level where the organ is. Okay. And without a microphone, and he filled that place up. Wow! Yeah, he had a great voice. That's a talent, man. Yeah. Singing, like really being able to sing. It's like I, I'm a cover drummer. I do my best to get it as close as possible to, you know, whatever. I had an experience one night. Um, there was this dive bar in Dorval that used to have bands Thursday to Saturday. And... Uh, there was local bands there were some bands on like uh, circuit bands moving around town to town type of thing and uh they were good they were fine totally adequate for the thing one night i walked in and i don't remember what the band's name was it wasn't april wine but they had april wine's drummer jerry mercer sitting behind the kit awesome drummer and I'm talking in a, in a place that holds maybe 80 people, mm. like packed to the gills. And I walked in and right away I just went, like the precision and power and drive that this guy was putting out. I just went, okay, no, no, that's a 10. The other drummers I've seen here over the past few weeks, no, 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 this guy. Okay. And that's the difference. It was just like, yeah. Jerry Mercer, I compared to Bonham in the sense that he wasn't always on time perfectly, but it fit. He no. was the anticipated hit, and that oh yeah, you know, which uh, you know, some some people uh, he, he played with him. Timing machine didn't like that, you know, because the, the the way he played. But I think Mercer is in the top yeah five rock drummers, Canadian rock drummers, sure. Or even worldwide. I mean, I'd put him, I'll put him in the top 10 worldwide as far as rock drummers. I'm not talking about your, you know, jazz and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's yeah. got to be recognized as something completely different. I mean, there's Dave Weckles. There's Carl Palmer's. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, Todd Zuckerman's. Um, yeah, you got Neil Peart. You they're know, all, they're all yeah, they're all different. You know, I'm going to say something blasphemous. I recognize how amazing Neil Peart is mm-hmm. or was unfortunately rest his soul um but i didn't like his drum solos ever i never liked the drum solos in in, in rush and i know i recognize his talent he's amazing yeah 
Oh, no, he's an absolute machine. He deserves the title The Professor. But all it was was him going and then doing that here and then here and then here and then over on this instrument. And it was no nuances. You know, my favorite rock drum solo of the era. Okay, story time. October 13th, it's a Friday the 13th, 1978. I have tickets to go see Jethro Tull for the Bursting Out Tour. Mm -hmm. That was their live album, mm -hmm. right? Double album. Now, back in the day, there was no streaming service. There was no YouTube. Um, even songbooks, if you bought a yeah. songbook of your favorite group and they showed you the chords and drum parts and all that, they weren't, they were intentionally altered. They yes. weren't actually like, you yeah. know what I mean, right? Yeah, I heard same thing for guitar. Yeah, exactly. And um, so I'm going to see this and it was my favorite lineup. Ian Anderson, John Evan, uh, David Palmer, um, John Glasscock on bass, Martin Barry on guitar, and Barrymore Barlow playing drums. Now, Barrymore Barlow had been with them ever since. Uh, he did Heavy Horses, he did uh, Thick as a Brick. Um, I don't know if he did War Child. Anyway, but, you know, Thick as a Brick, come on. Yeah. And he's got this mix of, like, these uh, bagpipe drum rudiments that he worked into this kit and he was a master with double bass drum he does on the bursting out album a song called conundrum it's the drum solo song and it is the most musical it's my favorite um drum solo um that he does that, that, that i like i like now i saw the show live and what happened was we showed up we we're entitled little west island brats we had tickets in the reds because you know yeah. dad was generous and um when we showed up it wasn't like today security was a little different what and security exactly <laughs> and there were these big bikers sitting in our seats and i went up and i went oh excuse me sir uh, you're in my seat and he looks at me like Go away while you can, because I'm going to throw you down the stairs. And I'm like, oh, God. So I look at my friend Tim. I go, what are we, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's go up. And uh, so we're walking around the mezzanine. We got behind the stage. In those days, you could find an empty seat behind the stage. Mm -hmm. It wasn't securityed off or anything yeah, cordoned yeah, yeah. off. So That's I got... Before the insurance company started telling people what to do, yeah. I got to sit behind the stage looking right down on top of the drummer because it's uh, quite an angled... Uh, yeah. And it was the best view because if you're sitting in front of the stage, well, you see the top of the tom-toms on the bass drums and you see the drummer's head and his shoulders and arms and that's it. I got to see everything, his feet, how he was doing everything. By the way, this guy had the most enormous muscular calves I've ever seen. He was a freak. He was like a bodybuilder. And um, anyway, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And if you look at the Bursting Out album, the view I had was the photo actually looking down on top of the... So cool. for an opportunity, I got to see how he did it. I went, oh, that's the sticking pattern he's doing. Okay, I get it now. Because like I said, no YouTube. You could not go, oh... Um, you know, Mike Portnoy talks about this and shows you a technique for that. I mean, it's like, what? 
You know, when I had, when I was in uh, band class, when I was like sent this time in band class, when I was in band class, <laughs> when I was like 17, um, my drum teacher said, go to Steve's music shop, talk to Mo Slutsky, he was like the drum guru at the time, and ask for this album calls, called uh, Five Guys Looking for a Drummer, or Five Guys Needing a Drummer. And it was a vinyl album, uh, like a um, um, small jazz ensemble, well, five, six players, sextet, I think they call that. Mm-hmm. Tool. And, uh, mm. The drummer in Tool does a solo in one of the songs, which will blow your mind. He incorporates uh, digital drums and, and, and acoustic drums, and he has some program with different things, and he uses the technology in a very creative way. Mm-hmm. Really no, cool. I, I'm not saying it's, I'm just... Uh... No, it's just, it's just that there's a, if it's used properly, technology improves oh, absolutely. music, you know? But, absolutely. Uh, look at keyboards. I mean, my keyboard plays grand piano. I can't afford a grand piano. Yeah. But I can put that on my recordings. And the, the sound difference on know, a totally. mix with different instruments is really barely noticeable. I saw, I think, I think it was the, the Us Tour, Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. way back in the day. And um, he had a violin player from Libya or something, Northern Africa somewhere. And the guy had this, it looked like a plexiglass stick with wires coming out of it, clear acrylic with violin strings on it. Mm-hmm. And these weird kind of shapes coming off of it. It was like, a, it was a violin style instrument, but it, it looked like something Mr. Spock would play, <laughs> you know? And the creepiest sounds, oh, yeah. the most mournful melodies would come out of this thing. And I'd be like, wow, wow. So that's when I first, I said, I gotta get one of those, get one of those uh, violin bows and see what I can do with it mm-hmm. on a drum set. Now at the time I had, uh, well, I still have brass cymbals, right? I have an electronic drum set with rubber cymbals, but I have brass cymbals too. And what's cool is you take the, the bow for your violin or your cello or something, and you apply a generous amount of the, the string wax on it and you stabilize the bell of a cymbal and you oh, down the edge. draw it down the edge, up and down. And it's like putting your finger on a wine glass, right? That to, is to get so cool. The hum out of it. And it is really a disturbing sound, but like cool at the same time. Really? Yeah. Wow. You'll get these like, like there's another technique. You take gongs and you whack it and then you drop it in a bucket of water and let it vibrate through the water totally changes the sound wow yeah really cool stuff you that can, is really cool yeah maybe maybe next time i'll bring a sing, uh, i still have the boat and i'll bring a symbol and uh definitely I'll, I'll demo it well you're definitely invited for another show i think i think what thing we could do would be cool uh is um um making different sounds with all sorts of different objects that'd be interesting 
because I have, I have a, 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 a tickle trunk full of odd percussion instruments, uh, thumb pianos, singing bowls, uh, tamboas. We'll do that. Um, bows on the edges of cymbals, um, bells. Yeah, I got a lot of stuff. That that could be some content that maybe somebody would be interested. And There's a market for everything. You know, I'm 60. I still like toys. But my yeah. favorite toys are odd little percussion musical instruments. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. That's cool. I, I just, I, I dig it, man. It's just like, wow, that's so cool. I saw this thing the other day. Amazing. It was a guy from um, Ghana, mm -hmm. and he had a thing called a cash kosh, or a kosh cash. And I showed the video to a few other uh, guys I work with, and they go, yeah, yeah, they had another name for it. He goes, that's for kids. But the way this guy was playing it, basically it's like a shaker, ball with granules of whatever in it, about, um, you know, this big. And it's got a string through it, and at the other end, there's another one. And you hold one of the one of them in your uh, palm, and you loop the string around, and you hold like one from the top, one from the bottom, and you flip it back and forth in your hands. And it makes this maraca sound, but it also makes this uh, clave clicking sound at the cool. same time when the when the two uh, spheres uh, contact each other. Mm -hmm. Totally cool. Well, I'm like that is amazing. You mentioned toys, instrument, to, in, toy instruments. Uh, Jack Black was on the late night show. I forget which late night show was. Oh, and he oh, played that electric. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, come the, on, he killed it. Whatever the mouth organ thing. Yeah, or, he yeah. killed it. It was like an electronic sax or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He killed it. Oh, for sure. Well, on that note, it's getting close to your departure time because I know you have to do some stuff. And uh, I really want to thank you. The conversation's hey, been amazing. Thanks a lot, Kev. And I hope everybody enjoyed this, and we're going to do this again. And on my final thoughts, be kind to somebody today, and forgiveness is a gift. Don't worry about the pain. It goes away. And uh, just be, be happy. So, see you in the next one. Let's gong it out. Thanks for watching. We're going to gong out the show. Okay, everybody remembers the gong show? Here, you do this one. And I'll hold it. Five, four, three, two. It's got a lovely sustain. Yeah, you just hear. Final, final tap. Great reference. Good one. Oh, another and uh, a special two-parter. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed, and hope you survived. This was the first podcast, and join us for the next one, where we'll be talking to my good friend and co-worker, Sean.